What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Ja Raps, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? JJ Reddick, new ESPN contract. Good for him. Good for him. It's to, to nobody's surprise. Yeah, more Jays. They said, you know what? We need more. We need more logic more consistently. So let's bring a guy who's one of the more who balances out some of the ridiculousness. I'll put it that way. <laughs> That's a good way to that, yeah. That that the Kenny Perk the sorry the Kendrick Kendrick Perkins yeah, yeah. I'm sorry it's it's early it's early for my body clock. Um, Kendrick Perkins brings and um, but I like that. I'm I'm not surprised in the slightest. I have some what I consider to be mind-blowing stats for you coming up here. I am very excited. Mind-blowing stats? One of them is mind-blowing. Okay. Are I we think. talking are we talking about like the way that space works or are we talking about the ACC? The ACC. Okay. <laughs> We're talking about the ACC that got five teams into the tournament last year, right? That that ACC? I never said it was a positive mind-blowing stat. I just said it was mind-blowing. <laughs> that's fair. That's that's completely fair. Um, I stand. I, I I'm sorry for jumping to conclusions that they were positive. That there were positive stats. Um, today we're gonna talk ACC and the long exodus of our podcast uh of our conference preview series uh we did the big east last week lucas harkins joined us for a podcast and we talked about the conference that was last week those episodes are already up on our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts and this week it's the acc um later in the week we'll have a, a returning guest to the podcast that is um at least for me becoming quickly becoming one of my favorite guests that we have on the podcast but today is our one-on-one ACC preview um, that we do to try to break down as much of the conference as we can we do that in a very specific way we do that by by slotting teams into five categories and those categories are as follows team we're most excited about and then the team we're most intrigued by and then we'll talk storylines around the conference uh, to try to set up kind of the the bullet points for what's interesting in the conference, at least in the preseason. Uh, then we'll talk NCAA tournament teams, the teams that could make the tournament, not necessarily how many teams will, but how many teams have the how many teams could win uh, get into the NCAA tournament out of the ACC. And then of course it wouldn't be a preview pod if there wasn't a winner chosen at the end um mr drawing before we get involved in the acc preview would you like i'm ready to jump in let's do it starting with the team you are most excited about josh who are we most excited about who are you never mind don't speak for both of us who are you most excited (laughs) about for the 2022 um acc season surprise surprise it's north carolina the heels. I mean, this is just 
fascinating to me in terms of what do they do for an encore, right? Okay, you lose Brady Manick and some role players, but you got four of your six leading scorers back. And you have your basically your rotation by the end of the season, except for Brady Manick back. Pete Nance, we've talked about this, ready-made replacement for Brady Manick. And you have the uh, decent recruiting class led by Seth Trimble, who has very good bloodlines. And so on paper, this is very much a replication of UCLA last season of look what they did at the end. Now we have to get excited about them. The difference being there was actually tangible difference, a more significant tangible difference in terms of what this team did defensively. And you brought this up and highlighted it very astutely of this was a basketball team, you know, one basketball team for the first few months of the season, and then an entirely different basketball team after that. The second version is capable of winning a national championship. The first version couldn't beat a good basketball team to save their lives. How does this all play out? Because I I went with exciting and not intriguing because there's just not as many question marks for me. It's more just, does this actually deliver on the hype? It's not, it's very clear sort of what the question is. So I went with exciting. And also because they could be phenomenal if it all clicks. Right. I mean, this is no matter how high you are on North Carolina, what's indisputable is you're only high on the version of the team that we saw for six weeks at the end of the season. Right. And, and I've talked about it before on this pod about this, you know, this February 19th date where before that, you know, they lost to Virginia tech on February 19th. And before that they were a, a completely different team. And that's, you know, that's different even than, saying they were their non-conference team was a completely different team and then their ACC team was a completely different team the sample <laughs> right. size the sample size for the good the good side of the season is even smaller than that and i think we kind of forget and, and they won a lot of games they won a lot of games in the ACC but they didn't beat any good teams until february and that's and it got so good so fast that I think we forget that the, the the balance of which team we were impressed by and which team we weren't, like it's outweighed in terms of longevity by the team that nobody was impressed by. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of whether you think UNC could be the one of the best teams of all time this year or or not, it's, you have to concede that we've not seen this version of this team be good for an entire year. And that's, and that if is, if nothing else, right. And then they come back with, with all the preseason hype in the world. They, you know, they're one of the two teams that's going to be the number one team in the preseason AP poll. And right. They have, an all-American national player of the year type guy in Armando Baycott. It checks all of the boxes to be incredibly exciting. All of the eyes will be on them from day one. Um, but they're if, if they are one of the three best teams in the sport from the beginning of the year to the end, um, 
even if they're a top 25 team from the beginning of the year to the end, that's not something they did last year, which makes the pressure and the the spotlight exciting for, for a team like UNC. Um, I tried to be weird and go somewhere else with this, <laughs> and I couldn't figure out a way to do it. Um, I am excited to see how good this team is on the national stage, how much better they are than um, than the rest of the ACC. Um, we'll get to the other teams that are going to kind of be in the fact in, in factor into the way the top of this conference plays out. But you know, there are other teams not named North Carolina like Duke that have a ton of talent coming back. That you know, a Virginia team led by Tony Bennett that when he has the right team wins 18 ACC games, right? Like that's, he's going to just win a ton of them if he has the right team. And to suggest that he has the type of team that has done that before this year uh, at, in Charlottesville is not a ridiculous thing to suggest. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Can, can they, because they're, they're being, they're being talked about, like they should be the clear tier one yep. team by themselves in the ACC. And I I'm not I'm not totally convinced that's going to happen, but th- this is very exciting from from all the storylines perspective that surround the team, and then you you know without even getting to the fact that right Armando Baycott, the walking double double returning, um, the backcourt with Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. You mentioned Pete Nance. That if you you know it's not a perfect right or Brady Manic. Um, right not the the complete reincarnation of brady manic but if you were going to pick one guy in the country to replace him pete nance would be the answer to the question so bravo to hubert davis on that one but um yeah very excited to to watch this unc team start this season from where they finished last year and that's as a team that is considered one of the best teams in the country two more things i want to add quick one I mean, outside of the blown lead against Baylor, there aren't a lot of holes to pick in what they did in the NCAA tournament, right? With that UCLA team, you can always say, I mean, they were four minutes away from losing in the first four. North Carolina went through the gauntlet and by and large delivered. So that does also add some validity to what they did in the the final third or so of last season. The second thing, Yes, they made the national championship game and nearly won a national title. North Carolina has also lost double-digit games three seasons in a row now. That doesn't happen. Of course, those teams didn't have the same hype as, as this team. But it's just this weird place where, even with all of this hype, it's not like North Carolina has actually put together a really good season these past few years, right? This is the team that's supposed to do it. Do they actually deliver? Yeah. 100%. That's, that's actually, and I don't remember where the team that won the national title was preseason with that roster they had. I, I have to imagine they were a pretty, pretty highly thought of college basketball team. But what I, what I would be pretty confident in is that they weren't the number one team in the country preseason. Um, at least I don't remember that being the case and and I can look it up and maybe I'm completely wrong and and we'll concede if that's the case, but it, it feels like it has been a while and I'm going to 
I'm going to stall here for about 17 more seconds as I bring up North Carolina's team page on, on college basketball reference. Um, in the preseason that year, they won the national championship in 2017. They were the preseason AP team, the, the number six team in the AP preseason poll. Um, and, and while that's high for sure, um, so, so 2015-16, they were the number one team preseason in the country, 2015-16. That's a team that had Bryce Johnson, Joel Barry, Justin Jackson, Marcus Page, Isaiah Hicks, Kennedy Meeks, Nate Britt, Theo Pinson, and so on and so forth. Um, so it's been a little while, and it certainly hasn't been with this group of players that they have these kind of expectations. Yeah. I like it. Who's your most intriguing team? Just going to flip over from last season, Duke. Okay. <laughs> it's the same reason I had North Carolina in the spot last season, the potential of the roster and a new head coach, right? Mm-hmm. There are a lot more questions about this Duke team than there are the North Carolina team this season. It is a massive recruiting class, literally and figuratively. There are, I mean, this is a bunch of seven footers, <laughs> which is fascinating in terms of your the these guys who are, Headlining this Zion Williams and RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish esque recruiting hall in terms of, you know, three of the top five guys in the country. The entire recruiting class is at least six four. And then you have the other side of this, which is you had five double digit scorers last season. None of them are returning. Jeremy Roach is about the only player of note who is returning. Jalen Blakes has some experience. And then you've got the transfers, but they're not exactly the highest profile. I'm not sure what you can expect from any of them other than outside of probably Jacob Grandison, because you know what you're going to get from Jacob Grandison. He can be your seventh man and hit some threes, right? Space the floor for you. They're just, I mean, the one proven commodity in my head is Jeremy Roach. And of course, this is John Shire's first go around too. So the potential is there. The raw talent is certainly there. How good are they? Do they get onto North Carolina's level, kind of like you were talking about before? What does this look like in the John Shire era? And then, by the way, that was also their first outright ACC Big Ten, Big ACC regular season title since 2006. Mm-hmm. And how wild is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are just a lot of things going on here and so many question marks that to me, I didn't have to think hard about this. Yeah, I think I, I, I've i decided I'm – I don't think it, I've ever seen a recruiting class that's so decorated that I and, – and this is going to sound like I don't have any faith in the Duke recruiting class, and that's not the – that's not the – that's not what I'm trying to communicate. But – it's not like you see a bunch of these guys are like, yep, Duke's got a freshman that's like, like we're talking first team All America. We're talking. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I'm I, confused by the recruiting class is not the right word because of course it's uber talented. I just and maybe it's because I'm swayed by the fact the last time Duke had this level of a recruiting class. 
it was Zion Williamson. And so like, that's all anyone could talk about in the preseason, but I think, you know, it's a lot and and Dariq Whitehead might be that guy. That's just kind of a trans trans transcend transcendent. Yeah. But that wasn't the word I was looking for. That's, I mean, that wasn't the version of that word I was looking for, but I think that's the version of that word I should have been looking for. Um, the rest of them are kind of like not niche, but it's it's not like you, they're not guys that I feel like are going to be dominant college basketball players and overwhelming college basketball players. Maybe Mary, maybe Derek Lively is that on the defensive end of the floor, but he's certainly got ways to go on the offensive end. Kyle Filipowski is just, you know, the type of guy that is super intriguing. I think his ball handling skills as a seven footer are pretty impressive um but he's not a super athletic guy he needs to be able to shoot in the pick and pop and like if they can those two guys play on the floor together like i think that's incredibly a a big question for john shire and just in general two seven footers really being i mean matt painter wasn't able to play two of his five best players on the floor together because he you know zach Eady and jade and travion williams just didn't make any sense um I'm super intrigued by by their recruiting class um, because it has all the makings of one to be that that is super super special. Um, I'm just not sure there's we're gonna look up especially with Derek Whitehead coming back from a foot injury if one of these guys actually kind of takes the reins as one of the 10 12 best players in the entire country um, to sort of spearhead. Uh, the attack for John Shire's team with all, with all of that being said, they're like uber, super duper ridiculously talented. And in a lot of different areas, that's just not translating to complete confidence in a way that maybe I expected it to. And the position has something to do with this, right? This is not three guys who are wings that, you know, can go get you 20 on any given night combined for 75 on any given night and control a game to your point. That's the other interesting aspect of this to me. Now, Dariq Whitehead is one of those guys, assuming he's healthy and you get to see the best of him, but it's not your top three. And there are other players lower in this class who fit that cat, that description more. But in terms of your top three guys, the guys getting all of the attention, that is the the other fascinating aspect of this to me is right. They're not built to be the guys that are dominating games on the perimeter, right? Maybe lively becomes the guy who dominates inside, but is he the best big in the country in a season where you can go name five other ones who should be first team preseason all Americans. Like we've talked about. It's a, it's a fascinating situation. John Shire finds himself in, and it's probably unfair to this recruiting class that the only one that can, they compare to is the one that is probably just never going to be matched. Unfair in terms of expectation, completely fair in terms of on paper, it's the closest one to it. Right. It's the comparison you have to make. Which which is an interesting, right, an interesting spot to be in. And then, right, I didn't even mention the fact that Josh Shires is in his first year as a head coach. Like, that adds the intrigue. Um, I had two teams down here because in the interest of not having the same two teams. Um, So I'm going to go with Virginia as my the team I'm most intrigued by this year because straight up I think Virginia can win the ACC this year. Um at the end of this podcast will I will I predict them to win the ACC? I don't know, you'll have to wait and see. Um but 
I do think it's the type of team that Tony Bennett goes and wins 17 ACC games with. It's going to be one of the most experienced teams in the country, right? In their, you know, their projected starting five right now is Kihei Clark, Reese Beekman, Armand Franklin, Jaden Gardner, and Caden Shedrick. That's a redshirt senior, a junior, a senior, a redshirt senior, and a redshirt junior. Oh, and their first two guys off the bench and Ben Vanderplas from Ohio and Francisco Caffero, also redshirt seniors, right? We're talking about the seven, the, the top seven guys in their rotation. Now it gets to eight, and then it's just a bunch of freshmen. It's guys who haven't played college basketball before, but you get eight guys, and none of them are freshmen, and only one is a sophomore, and only one is a true junior, and all yeah. of them are older. And by the and, way, those freshmen are quite talented. Right, and we <laughs> we can certainly talk about the uh, three top 70 freshmen. That wasn't a knock at those freshmen, right, I was right. just saying. Yeah. Um, th- then, then we're getting into a different category. We haven't even talked about the three freshmen that are all three top 70 freshmen, but there are, there are a couple things here that intrigue me and almost excite me. Like if, if it, if it wasn't this North Carolina team, Virginia would have been my most, the team I was most excited about. Um, Cause it takes time to really understand what it means to play defense for Tony Bennett. And right, there are guys on the scene, you know, Kihei Clark knows exactly what that means. But like, you know, Armand Franklin, you know, coming from Indiana as a transfer, another year under his belt. I think Jaden Gardner is a is a criminally underrated guy as, as a as a forward coming into this season. Um not quite on the level of of you know the, those seven big guys that are all talked about when it comes to the best bigs in the country this year um, in, in terms of forwards, but Jane Gardner is coming off 15 and six last year. Um, and I at think, Virginia offense, you got to give right, the Virginia, right. Virginia conversion rate. Right. Exactly. Um, but I think this team is going to play defense at a really high level this year. This whole, like what in the world is going on with Virginia's defense? I don't know. Maybe we'll return to that, but this year we're not going. We're not going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the inverse. It's like, oh my gosh, Virginia won another forty-nine to forty-four game, and they're going. They, there might be times this year where it's like, man, I just wish Virginia could score it a little more. Like that could that could happen. Um, there's not a ton of creativity on this in in this offense, which is what made that national championship team so special because there was a lot of creativity in that offense. Um, but you got Kihei Clark, one of the more seasoned college basketball players in the entire country uh, as a redshirt senior. Reese Beekman is going to be in the conversation for defensive player of the year in the ACC. And in the conversation, I think, is one of the best defenders in the country, period, not just in this conference. Um, Armand, Armand Franklin, interesting. Um, and then I've already talked about Jaden Gardner, and we can go back and forth about the freshman here in a second. But all of all of this wraps into a team that I don't think people are giving them the credit that is due in terms of the role they'll play and the way this conference plays out. I'm, I'm right there with you. And you hit on the point I want to hammer home, which is you don't just walk into Tony Bennett's system and play good defense. You don't. There is a reason you had all of those upperclassmen on that national championship team and the team that lost to UMBC the year before. Now, if you're DeAndre Hunter, okay, there are exceptions to the rule because DeAndre Hunter was an end, right, 
a high-level NBA player playing in that system. That's a little bit different. There's not that guy on this team. But continuity is everything. And so being able to have this group of players back where you've got basically everything you want returning, to be able to then go into the offseason and break down film and say, okay, here's where we fell short defensively last season. This is what we need to change. And these players now know what's expected. And you bring in a very productive player in Ben Vanderplaas. Yeah, this is... We need to talk about this team in the context of other season Virginia teams rather than the context of, well, they should be better than last season because it's the same group. Because that's disrespectful to Tony Bennett's track record. Last season did not go as planned for a variety of reasons, but this group is back, and at Virginia, that means as much as any place in the country. So I'm right there with you. Um, in, in terms of... In terms of here are the you know the two or three things that need to change at Virginia. You're right. For for this team to to take that step into a into an ACC regular season title contender. Um, right. The defense, especially when they play as slow as they do, you know, the offense, you'd love to see the offensive efficiency go up a little. They were 85th at Kim Palm last year. But right, it starts with the defense being 59th in Kim Palm, the way that Virginia plays on the defensive end is not going to cut it. Um, they took care of the ball last year. That's fine. They didn't turn the ball over very much last year outside of the top 175 and turnover rating, which is right. All of this is a little skewed because they were 357th in adjusted tempo, but still um, the three point shooting has to improve um, 247th in the country last year. And that's combined with they were 340th. And three-point field goal attempts, you know, by field goal attempts, right? In terms of that, in in terms of that rate uh, between total field goals taken and and three pointers, that that's going to have to change. Of course, you'd love to, you know, see a marginal increase. You know, Ben Vanderplas is probably right. That's a thirty-four percent three-point shooter. Nobody on this team shot better than thirty-four percent last year, which is, of course, a concern, but. With with those things being said, this is a pretty complete team that that Tony Bennett has here, and I'm excited and intrigued to like I I I think we're going to look up at the beginning of February, and there will be at least you know two at least two teams in the conversation for the ACC regular season title, and I think Virginia is going to be one of them. Are we ready for storylines? Let's do it. Um, where would you like to start? Take me anywhere. Take me on a trip. Let's start with my first question, which is, is the depth back? Mm. I won't spoil my NCAA tournament teams list yet, but I feel really good about seven teams in this conference. You look at, we've already talked about Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, should be three of the better teams in the country. Florida State, Caleb Mills, Matthew Cleveland, not a bad place to start. Now, you lost quite a bit, but you do have Cameron Fetcher coming back, Jalen Warren, Naheem McLeod. And you had 10 guys who started at least five games last season because everybody kept getting injured, unfortunately. Darian Green was UCF's leading scorer. He comes in. You've got some, some talented top 100-ish recruits. 
this just looks like a good Leonard Hamilton team. Mm-hmm. I believe last year was the the exception or the aberration, and they're going to get back to being Florida State. Jalen Ganey, two-time Ivy Defensive Player of the Year as well. Yeah, all kinds of – there's plenty of talent there. Mm -hmm. Virginia Tech, love that backcourt. Sean Padula, Hunter Couture, this is going to be amazing. And Justin Mutzen, Darius Maddox, yes, again, you've got some pieces to replace. You've got a nice recruit in Rodney Rice. The bench is inexperienced. But they were 19th in Ken Palm at the end of last season, 17th in offensive efficiency. It's very easy to see them having a better season. And then you start talking about some of these backcourts. I mean, J.J. Sterling, Dane Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, and three-time All-Mac selection Marcus Hammond for Notre Dame. Four of them. And you have Nate Lazuzzi in the front court still. Now you have no front court experience outside of him. There are holes to point to in this team, which I'll get to later. But plenty to be excited about in the backcourt. Miami, that might be the best three guards mm-hmm. in the country. Again, some other questions. But then you you combine that with Norchad or Mir who's going to finally give you an interior presence, plenty to be excited about there. And you can kind of keep going down the list. There are some teams that very well may struggle, but we talked about three. I just hit on four more. All of those teams, I feel like you have really good reason to be excited heading into the season. So what does this look like? Do you have two to three national title contenders, you know, top 15 teams in the country and five in the top 25 or is it more of yeah there are some pretty good teams and we have three teams in the top 25 consistently duke north carolina virginia the acc has a lot of work to do to sort of rebuild its reputation how much of that can happen this season you know i i I don't think people will look back and remember just how bad the acc was last year because unfortunately you're correct because north carolina and duke both went to the final four and we ended the season talking about North Carolina bringing everybody back from a final four team, but like they needed a team to surprisingly win their ACC tournament to get five in. Yep. It was supposed to be four. And Miami also didn't help the cause by making a deep run to add to the, it was the tournament went great for the ACC. You and I just don't put a lot of stock into that. Right. And, and I talked about in our, in our storylines pod a couple weeks ago that this team like won the second most games and this conference won the second most games in the tournament. So between that and the fact that it was 50% of the final four and, and all of those things, you know, Paolo Bancaro was spectacular. That Duke team I've come to conclusion was the most talented team in the country last year. And it almost got them all the way to a national championship. And all with that being said, the, the ACC was horrible last year. They were bad. And and it's interesting because, right, We, I do think there's going to be a return to, to depth, but not in the way that – not in the default way that depth is usually defined in the ACC, right? When we're talking depth in the ACC, it's, it's usually in the way we talk – we're talking about depth in the Big Ten, maybe not this year necessarily, but in the past, you know, decade or – sorry, um, five years or so, like – the Big Ten, when, when we say the Big Ten is deep, we're talking like there are 10 teams that can make the tournament. There are, you know, 11 teams you really don't want to play on their home floor. And you're hoping that you get, you know, that three of your road games are those bottom three teams in the conference because everybody else is going to be impossible to win, you know, on the road. It's going to be, you know, there are a lot of really good venues. There are a lot of really good fan bases and it's just really hard to win on the road. 
And right, we're looking at depth here, and I'm I still only like seven teams. And but that's significantly better than it was last year. It, it, it's a skewed expectation and and a and a journey to the return of of complete depth in the ACC. But um, right, I, I think it starts like it starts in non-conference play. Do we feel different about this team on the national level? Because they were just atrocious in non-conference play last year, and that just leads into the way that people feel about your conference. So do they improve in the non-conference against the other major conferences in the country? And do we just feel like there are more quality basketball teams? Because last year you felt like there were two quality basketball teams, in the ACC, like two genuinely quality basketball teams. And one of those teams wasn't quality yeah. until February 19th. I was going to say, I would, I might even argue it's, it's one for an right. entire season. Right. And, and that is a wild, wild thing to talk about when talking yeah. about the ACDC. Yeah. Um, to throw the obvious one out there real quick, um, John Shire taking over Duke is, is a storyline in the conference. Um, he, he, you know, it's the best issue. It's the best problem of all time to have that you're, you know, first year head coach is already the best recruiter in the country. <laughs> um you know, or at least one of them. Um, but with it brings immediate expectations, um, whether Duke fans want to admit or not, that they expect John Shire to win immediately. Duke fans expect John Shire to win immediately. Um, and as we talked about, I mean, in the power rankings of the of the most highly decorated recruiting classes of all time, you know, this this team isn't topping out the power rankings when you put together when you when you t- put it in conversation of some of the like, whoa, look at the ratings on those guys in that recruiting class. Um, but I think right, it's absolutely a part of of this. I mean, <laughs> there's going to be a different guy on the sidelines in Cameron Endor for the first time in over 40 years. Like that's just a f- completely fundamental shift in in the hierarchy of the conference and and. and what the Duke program brings to, to college basketball. I'm, I'm from day one, you know, how is it, how does he coach? How does it feel different? How does it look different? Um, I'm, I'm super intrigued by John Shire. Um, we've been talking about it for a year, but um, that doesn't change the fact that we still haven't actually seen him coach a game and he's, you know, about as, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's never been a head coach and, he might be the most hyped first year, you know, college basketball coach at any program ever in terms of the expectations and how big of a name he already is. And, you know, along with the brand he's stepping into, I'm super intrigued by that one as well. Yeah. Uh, Let's just stay with the coaches from my next storyline. It's, I kind of put them all together and just said coaches, but some really interesting things here. One of them, of course, John Shire, like you just said. Also, Kenny Payne. What do these two look like in their first season? Completely different situations, but these are two programs who expect to be among the best nationally. John Shire, much better much better situation to walk into than what Kenny Payne's walking into. But these And these are two guys who have been fairly hyped from a coaching perspective as well. Then Hubert Davis, uh, Good luck trying to, you know, surpass your debut in year two. No matter how talented your team is and how successful it is, 
you ended Mike Krzyzewski's career and got to a national title game. What does year two entail? And then the other part of this, which is it feels like this could very well end up being a sort of decisive year in the ACC coaching rings. Kevin Keats, Brad Bernal, Jeff Capel, Josh Pastner could all really use quality seasons. Not sure any of them are going to get them. Those are not the seven teams you're talking about that you feel good heading into the season with. Right. And I could all, I would also also argue Mike Bray, not that his job's in jeopardy by any means, but he could really use a, a second successive good season building off of last year. He has the talent to do it after Notre Dame really fell off for a few seasons there. And it's not what you expect from Mike Bray's Notre Dame teams. You expect more what you saw last season and even maybe a little bit better than that. And then there's the other one, which is Jim Behan. Are you ready for this stat? I'm going to throw it out here now. Yeah, man. So that was Syracuse's first losing season since when? Hmm. 82. You're still a decade off. 72? 1968-69. Oh, my Lord. That is also known as, I, I counted, I believe it was eight years before Jim Beheim took over as head coach. Wow. That's wild. See? That is I, wild. Thank you. And, of course, you also have the part of this where, you know, his kids aren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. So... This could very easily be the end of, and we'll talk more about Syracuse in a little bit here, but you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like Syracuse is in this position where they're going to be set up for a top 25 team this season. And, you know, moving forward that there's a reason for Jim Beheim to stick around for three more years. Maybe he wants to, and that's, you know, he's going to walk away when he chooses, mm-hmm. but it could very easily end up being, you know, if it's another frustrating season, he just says, I'm, I'm, I don't have anything left and I'm done. And rightfully so, you know, he's served that program and that school incredibly well. So this could be a third successive season where you get a legendary coach retiring from this conference as well. There's just a lot going on in the coaching things. Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you named five coaches. Those five coaches are in the bottom six of this conference. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, with you know and it's not all that you know disputable right i mean none of those i mean i I don't expect any of the except for mike bray sorry um but in terms of the guys and as you as you qualified it with mike bray is not worried about his job at the end of this year even if notre dame doesn't win a single game like that guy that guy is also in the uh, on the list of he won't be the notre dame head coach when he doesn't want to be the notre dame head coach anymore yeah um so I'm 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 interested. I'm intrigued by how this conversation starts to play out throughout the season. Like, are we just do we just get to a point where nobody talks about it, and then at the end of the year, it's like, yep, okay, that makes sense. Let's, you know, we take a look at their lack of success recently. We'll see you guys later. Like, is it actually, or or, or are all these teams just so bad that it's just? Like we never actually talk about it, and then they just get fired at the end of the year. 
I, I, because I think you're right. There are a lot of guys who, you know, that we're looking at a completely different coaching or at least, you know, a fourth of the conference is looking at a different coaching roster than, than it was at the beginning of this season. But it's not like, I, I, I'll put it this way. I, I, do any of those coaches overachieve? Do they like so does someone sneak into the the number eight spot, even if they're they're not that close to making the NCAA tournament? I mean, maybe things go really, really well for somebody kind of out of nowhere. Maybe Dior Johnson turns into one of the best players in the ACC for for Jeff Capel at Pitt. And I mean, that's not the only player on Pitt's roster that has a chance to be like really good relative to the ACC this year. I mean, does does Pitt come out of nowhere? Does Steve Forbes kind of, after just getting absolutely smashed by the NBA draft, you know, put together another transfer, you know, a transfer full roster with a couple of guys coming back, and then, you know, he's the surprising guy. So there's not really another spot for one of these coaches that is really in in trouble. Um, I I just I I don't think any of those coaches are going to have any effect on how the season plays out, and. I'm, but but I'd like to be wrong. It'd be kind of fun if one of those teams is better than they were supposed to be this year. I've got one more storyline. Do you? How many do you have left? Um, I have, I have one more. You want to do yours then? Yeah. Um, my last storyline is I'm super intrigued, but I'm going to be paying attention really closely to to Miami this year. Um, mostly because they're the highest paid team in college basketball. Like, I mean, I don't actually know if that's true. Um, it's, it's probably not because of the Oscar Sheboys of the world. Um, but, uh, <laughs> one of the defining columns of this Miami team is that John Ruiz is throwing NIL money all over the place. And, and you, it went public. Right. And, and you threw it. <laughs> And you said it earlier in the podcast, and it's not something I can disagree with, but like three months ago, this backcourt that you coined as one of the best in the country, which I, which I agree with was pitted against each other because one guy wanted as much money as the other guy. Right. That is just fast. The dynamic is fascinating. That is the team that I circle because let's, because with all due respect, Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack, Neither of you were relevant in the national conversation last year. Neither of you, right? Both very good basketball players, but but those guys complaining about NIL and like is not the same as if like Oscar Shibway was to complain about NIL. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like ultimately, like we need to have a very real conversation here about just how important you guys actually were last year. And if it weren't for Miami making a run in the tournament, like. It's like, I'm just like, eh. anyways, I am, I, I am fascinated just to, and, and maybe things are like, I, I doubt things are super public, but then again, John Ruiz, when he's got Twitter at his fingers, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll just be tweeting up a storm about the, the dirt he's getting on the, the Miami men's basketball team. Um, NIL in general um, continues to be something I monitor, but especially at Miami. I mean, that's a team that yes, has a lot of talent, but I mean, before Isaiah Wong and Nigel pack were even teammates, 
one guy was unhappy with the other one from mm-hmm. a money perspective. And that's just um, the dynamic I, I, I'm fascinated by. And then coupled with the fact that if like things go well at Miami, they could, right. They're, they're one of the four best teams in the conference. And there's also the part of this where I just find it hard to believe Jim Laranega is really trying to deal with all this. Right. Right. And for completely understandable reasons, but it's not like you have a, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't feel like you have a head coach who is sort of very much hands-on in the NIL world and proactively trying to make sure this all goes smoothly. Jim Laranega is trying to coach basketball and which is, how in a perfect world this should all work. It should not be the coach's job to deal with all of this stuff. But it's just interesting that one of your first sort of dramas comes at a place where it's not like you have an up-and-coming young coach who has kind of integrated himself into this world by being the recruiter as the NIL world has opened up and is sort of more comfortable in all of these spaces. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not that's not Jim Laranega. That's not what Jim Laranega does well. So it's it's yeah, they they're up there on the most interesting teams in the country list for sure. That's all I've got for storylines. Okay. My final one is just very simply, can the conference live up to the hype in terms of the individual teams? Okay. UNC, we've talked about this. Let's see it for a full season before anybody starts crowning you a national champion. Duke, as we've also talked about, terrific freshman class, uber-talented, they have to show up and show out if that team's going to live up to expectations because there isn't anybody else on the roster. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeremy Roach is going to be fantastic, but it's not like you have three other guys you can rely on and then you're integrating the freshman class into that. No, this is the freshman class's team. Mm-hmm. And Jeremy Roach is going to have the ball and his job is to get it to him. Miami was a flawed, defensively challenged basketball team last season. I don't care what they did in the NCAA tournament. I don't care what anybody says. They have issues to address to get to the point where they are truly one of the top 16 teams in the country. Mm-hmm. Florida State, I talked about the injuries. There's plenty of talent and reason to be excited. Does Leonard Hamilton actually put it together and get that team back to being a top 15, top 20 team in the country? And then both Virginia and Virginia Tech were really disappointing last season. I'm right there with you. I'm really high on Virginia. Again, they have to actually do it, though. There's all of this potential and logical reasons to believe this is going to be a much, much, much better ACC. But these individual teams that have flaws that were exposed last season need to actually prove those flaws are minimized, if not extinguished, for this conference to get to where I think a lot of people, including you and I, expect it to be. Yeah, it is. It is. Man, I'm having a hard time putting sentences together on this on this audio medium content. Um, and right, it's also fascinating because it was such an uninspiring year. Like we don't expect uninspiring years by anyone at that level, other than the the Pac-12 at this point, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it is, and certainly. The I mean, the ACC is the college basketball conference, right? I mean, yeah. For a long time, it that's that was the cream of the crop, right? Between your between your Duke and Dukes and your UNCs, of course. But then, you know, you have these teams on the peripherals that were always your your 
your Louisvilles, your Miamis, your NC States, Notre Dame's, your Pitts of the world, your Syracuses. This used to be a Virginia, of course. And Florida this, State. Right, and Florida State. Um, It just – it always delivered, and last year it didn't. And can it deliver – right, we're, we're asking a conference to do something it didn't do last year in a really, really, really real way, man. Um, <laughs> and uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see if they can do it. Okay, tournament teams. How many you got? I have nine. You're you're crazy. You're crazy town for that. Which <laughs> now, which nine do you have? Yeah, I want to be clear. All nine te- of these teams are not making the tournament. Well, you, I, and you got, and you got two teams on there that have no chance of making the tournament. I talked myself into two more. Okay, so I have the seven we've already discussed: mm-hmm. Duke, Florida State, North Carolina, Miami, Notre Dame, Virginia, Virginia Tech. I'm assuming those are your seven. North Carolina, Duke, Virginia, Florida State, Miami, Virginia Tech, Notre Dame. Yeah, whatever, whatever. I, I'm pretty sure we just named the seven, the same yes. seven teams. Yeah, I think we did. Okay. The other two. <laughs> I'm going to start with Syracuse. And simply say, first of all, it's Syracuse. So just the idea of not putting them in the section that says NCA tournament, mm-hmm. I mentally have a hard time with. Okay. <laughs> because... We joke about this all the time, but they are so good at finding a way to get there no matter how the season goes. You do have Joe Girard. Even though they lost 32 points per game from the Bayheim boys on a team that went 16 and 17? Yeah. That is the other part of this is you have Joe Girard and Jesse Edwards back, and that is it. Mm -hmm. You do have a really promising freshman class that – I could see becoming the next really good, you know, the foundation of the really next, really good next, wow, next really good Syracuse team. Mm-hmm. Not this season, but two, three years down the road if these guys stick around. Judah Mintz is the the headliner in that group, but there is some talent coming in. I've also been waiting for Samir Torrance and Benny Williams to, now this is only going to be year two for Benny Williams, to deliver on the recruiting hype they had, I can mm-hmm. see a world in which those two guys with all of these opportunities that are presented because there is very little coming back here have terrific seasons and are two of the most, you know, one of them becomes one of the most improved players in the country. And you combine that with your interior presence, your sharpshooter and the freshman class. And it's enough to for Syracuse to be that annoying team. Nobody wants to play in the tournament for them to sneak in. Do I think it's going to happen? No. I'm not particularly high on this team either. I just couldn't completely rule out the possibility. I had no issue ruling out the possibility. (laughs) No issue whatsoever. Who's your other one? My other team is Wake Forest. Okay. I know you are just... Would you you like to defend that one as well for me? Yes. I know you are bemoaning the fact that you've lost Alondis Williams and Jake LaRavia from a team that went 25 and 10. So it wasn't like this was, you know, cream of the crop, top 20 team in the country. You do bring back Davion Williamson and Damari Monsanto. Tyree Appleby, I think, is an underrated addition. Davion Bradford comes from Kansas State. You got a four-star recruit in Zach Keller, and it's T Forbes. If you want to ask me which of, if the ACC gets to eight teams or one of those seven teams we've talked about doesn't make the NCAA tournament, but somebody else does, no hesitation, no doubt in my mind is Wake Forest. 
Okay. So the, these two are very much kind of benefit of the doubt. We've seen these coaches deliver before. I couldn't completely write them off. I have a hard time seeing the conference getting to eight, though. I think it's going to be seven NCAA tournaments. I, I just don't think the talent is there for either or two of those teams. I think I, as as yes, the coaches have done it before, but like. Joseph Girard is like the guy at Syracuse this year. And and I, I like Joseph Girard. I think he's fun to watch play. Like that can't be the best thing you got going as a tournament team. It just can't. So I, I, I don't see anything on those two teams that say like they would have to do something I'm not expecting at this point. If like, I'm going to just going to say a bunch of things that I don't think is actually going to happen. This is not me taking a shot at you. This, I promise you this is, but like I would lose my head in an endless circle of overthinking college basketball previews. If I was like, ah, wake force, maybe like, I just need to write wake force off. Steve Forbes will come back in two years. It'll be great. But, but what I will say is that, is that I, that I like what you said about Wake Forest more than I like what you said about Syracuse. I will say that. Sure. I feel much better about Wake Forest too. Because I think, because my other issue with Syracuse at this point is that I think Jim Beheim is married to just an outdated way of coaching basketball and approaching the game, which is not surprising for a guy who plays zone and is like approaching 80 years old. We've passed the point of people struggling to get ready to play the zone. And we're past the point of, frankly guys coming to Syracuse that are like the athletes and the type of guys that you put into the zone that really excel. Um, so all of those things to suggest, all of those things would be my, my counterpoint. Um, but I got faith. I do have faith in Steve Forbes. I, I I'm with you there. I like Steve Forbes a lot. I'm just, I think, I think the talent there is going to fall a little short. My counter to that would be if, and it has nothing specifically to do with Syracuse and Wake Forest, but the idea of the same amount of teams theoretically making the NCAA tournament that could make the NCAA tournament. I come from a, a place where I approach it as I'm going to pick more teams that could than teams I actually think will. If that well, makes I, sense. Well, I, and, and I would lean the other way. I think it's more likely that seven teams could and six get in then seven teams, seven teams do and nine and nine teams could. Fair enough. If you made me pick, but I also I, and I generally agree with you. But this year in the ACC, there are seven teams that <laughs> I think can make the tournament, and I don't think anybody else is good enough. I think there were seven teams that make up a conference that is that that will you know be the foundation of the conference that has enough enough depth to get to seven teams, and those seven teams will get in. When it and which is which to your point is is not normally how it is, but I guess I I, I would lean towards if anything one of those teams underachieving and only six getting it. That would be kind of where I would. And I would lean more toward we've got eight team eight NCAA tournament caliber teams and seven of them get in throwing Wake Forest into that category. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're a winner. Um. I thought long and hard about making Virginia my winner. Long and hard. <laughs> um, I think, I think that's trying just a little bit too hard. So North Carolina is my is my team here. Um, it's 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 interesting though. <laughs> I, I I must say. I mean, 
if you're, you know, if you're looking for, I mean, if you're looking for the coach that has won an ACC title before with a team that's capable of doing it, there's only one and neither of them are on the sidelines at North Carolina or Duke. Um, but that team is, is super, super talented at, in, in Chapel Hill. Hubert Davis, it took him one year to prove to us that he's a good college basketball head coach. Um, and they're right. There's plenty, there's enough to, to, to look at that even if they didn't do it completely last year um, that you can put stock in them, in them doing it this year. I will say this though. I don't think they want to buy more than a game. I think it's going to be close. Um, I think Virginia is going to make North Carolina win seven, 16, 17 games in the conference this year to win it. And maybe Duke will be a part of that conversation as well. Um, but I think this Duke team might be one of those Duke teams that loses a couple games. It probably shouldn't. Um, but I think North Carolina is going to have to sweat to win this tournament to, to win this conference. That is, that is what I will believe in wholeheartedly heading into the year. I generally, generally agree with that. I would also say in terms of my ACC regular season power rankings, I have North Carolina one, Virginia two, Duke three. I'm 100% mm. on board with that. Does that mean I think Virginia is actually the second best team in the conference come NCAA tournament time in terms of picking a national title contender? No. But in terms of asking you to be consistent night in and night out, absolutely. They're number two. Mm -hmm. And I'm with you that North Carolina is not going to run away with this thing. Getting Pete Nance to replace Brady Manick ups my confidence level considerably because that was one of the secrets to the end of last season in addition to the improved defense. And I'll take the guys at the program that does a better job winning regular season titles if you're talking about comparing this to Duke. Like you said, mm -hmm. this is a coach and a set of players at Duke who have not – I mean, okay, yes, John Shire was part of last season's title team, but that was the first one in the – since before John Shire was playing, mm -hmm. right? He, it would have been right before he got to Duke, if I'm doing my math right. I believe so. In that ballpark. So it's not like John Shire is playing part of these coaching staffs that have successfully navigated the ACC year after year either. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to take the – and I I would be picking Virginia if there wasn't such a clear, obvious choice that on paper is the best team in the conference and you have plenty of reasons to be optimistic and believe in. So I generally agree with you. I didn't think quite as hard about who I was actually picking to win. Fair enough. Okay, I got things. You ready? Okay, I do too. Um, uh, Jaden Zachary is one of my favorite players in the conference this year at Boston College. Guy who came from a JUCO and then shot 50% from the three-point line last year, nearly. Um, he's just kind of a fun college guard. He's like 6'2". He's kind of stocky. He shoots the crap out of it. Um, and just in general, I think – Boston College is going to be way better than yep. 13 and 20 this year. I um, almost, almost included them as my ninth team instead of Syracuse. Yeah, that would have been a silly thing to do <laughs> with all due respect to Earl Grant. Um, the Prince of League Bay, first team all name um, in the recruiting class for, for Earl Grant, played with Chet Holmgren at Minnehaha. All I'm saying is that there's at least, I mean, he's at least probably been sweated on by Chet Holmgren at some point or, uh, or another. Um, you know, six, seven wing um, and should, should help with the, the, a defense that was outside of the one top one twenty eight Ken Palm last year. Um, I just think right. I, I believe in Earl Grant as a head coach. 
And I think that team is going to be better than they were last year. Do you have anything on Boston College or can I keep going? I do. First, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I am very high on this team. I just I just couldn't bring myself to actually put them in the teams that could make the NCAA tournament, but absolutely they are NIT material. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're looking at fi- over 500 this year, ladies and gentlemen. Well, let's go. Second. Which would be a out. win. Which would be a win. Absolutely. That's a seven. That's a seven. That's, that, that's winning four four more games than they did last yeah. year. And you got plenty coming back. Like you, like we've talked about, Makai Ashton Langford, DeMar Langford as well, the Langfords. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, shout out Andrew the Kenny. Langfords. Do you know what Andrew Kenny's major is? I do not know what, what Andrew Kenny's <laughs> – no, I don't. Please enlighten. This man, Boston College, man's basketball player, is a neuroscience major. That's lit. Just wanted to give him a shout out. That's I don't fantastic. think he's going to play very much this season. If he gets on, I might have to do a Kenny watch. If he gets on the floor, mm-hmm. we might need to celebrate it. Okay. Give some updates occasionally on his stats, but good for you, man. That's all I got. What, on Boston what, College. Is he a senior? Is he uh, going to start on senior night? I don't know off the top of my head. Or, Let me look. Or is he going to miss the game because he's, or is he going to miss the game because he is busy studying for his neuroscience final? <laughs> I will report back momentarily. Will you continue with your next thing? Yes. Um, next on my list is that um, Clemson isn't going to be very good this year, but PJ Hall is is a pretty dynamic offensive guy. Um, if he can just stay healthy. Yeah. Um, I really, I, I really enjoy watching PJ Hall play in the mid and high post. Nice little short jump hook. I think he's a pretty good passer. Um, Fifteen point five and six rebounds last year. Uh, he's a good. He's a good basketball player. Um, hopefully he can stay healthy. Clemson's not going to really Im- impact the way this conference plays out this year, but PJ Hall is is a guy that that I it just am intrigued by by college as, as a college basketball player in general. Um, yeah, he's I mean he's the first team All ACC guy. If he could, and it it doesn't certainly doesn't sound like he's going to get a whole season here, so right. he probably won't fall into that category. But talent wise, he he's the kind of guy that can save a season mm-hmm. and you're already dealing with an injury, which is just incredibly unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, also proud to report Andrew Kenny, Seattle, Washington native, by the way, is okay. indeed a senior. Fantastic. So we're locked in on senior night for, for Boston college this year. We're, we're he, locked in. He played 30 minutes last season. Oh, four from the field. We're going to score this year. We're made two free th- he, he made two free throws. Getting to the line. Not shying away from contact, my guy. Um, Reached double figures two seasons prior to that. Yeah. 10 points and 11 points. Um, I wish Louisville was like going to be good in any way, shape, or form because I'm just so fascinated by the spot this program is in. Mm-hmm. But there's just not a ton to be excited about. All things suggest that That can pain is moving in the right direction. It's not going to be super exciting this year. Um, 
and oh, Terquavion Smith, my guy. We're talking about Terquavion Smith being being like like he's on my watch list for leading the country in scoring. Sixteen points per game last year, and. that's with another guy taking like 16 talking about here. Um, with Terquavion Smith, I mean, Kevin Keats isn't going to be the coach at NC State next year, but Terquavion Smith might be a first team all ACC. He might, he might have that many points. And, um, and so that's fun to, to, to watch. Um, Dane Goodwin and Cormac Ryan, we talked about this a little bit. Um, that's an underrated backcourt, like in terms of experience. I mean, they both shoot the lights out. Um, Plus JJ Starling, north of twenty-five points, right? Plus JJ Starling, um, but you know, they, without him, I mean, those those are two really good college guards um, coming back for for Mike Bray. Um, Deer Johnson is interesting. We'll see what actually happens there. Uh, John Hughley is a really good basketball college basketball player that I'll be intrigued to see if he has first team All ACC chops by the end of the year. Um, two big players back out. for Pitt. Look at that. Mm-hmm. You don't you haven't seen that very much. Oh, 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 okay. This is where no, I'm gonna in- you have insert my my final fun fact. Do you know what Pittsburgh's last win was last season? I think I do. Maybe not. No, I didn't write it down. February sixteenth. And North Carolina. Oh yes, that's right. No, that's the that's the loss. I, I keep. I I I'm sorry for misrepresenting. That's the loss. I keep thinking it wasn't to Virginia Tech. It was to Pitt. It was to Pitt um, for UNC before they turned into one of the best teams in the country. Um, I love three point shooters. Hunter Couture is that. Hunter Couture is, is one of them. One of them three point shooters that I enjoy. Um, and and I think that's that's pretty much all I've got on my tour of on my tour of the of the ACC. Would you like to add anything else, Josh? Couple things quickly here. Yeah, um, Jarkel Joiner is a second proven score at the high major level for NC State. This is Turkavion Smith and friends. He's going to have a monster season, like you said. They were 322nd in points allowed and 246 in adjusted defensive efficiency last season. They got to stop some people, but they might lose a lot of games, you know, 88 to 76 with Smith having 35. Could be fun to watch. And Notre Dame, they lost size on a team that was terrible at rebounding. So, doesn't exactly suggest oh and also speaking of rebounding Miami was the worst rebounding team among high majors so we got some rebounding issues to address with some teams that have some promise here and Notre Dame in particular did not really address that if anything they lost some of their rebounding abilities but they did shoot 38 percent from three as a team so you got that going for you and like you said the backcourt is back and more than capable of doing the same thing again so what rebounding is one thing I will be watching in this conference because there were some teams that were very bad at it last season. That's all I have. I like it. I think we've touched on every team at least once. Success. Absolutely. Check, check it off. Um, you got anything else ACC or otherwise? 
Did you know Bryant McIntosh, assistant coach at Northwestern? I did not. Yeah. Why do you know that? Yeah, just I did at... a profile on him. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. I was like, it's are you going good. through Northwestern's coaching staff in, in preparation for the Big Ten? That is a he's, grind. He's 27. Not Not on the staff. Assistant coach. Yeah. That's wild. Well, that's what happens when you're the all-time assist leader in, a, mm-hmm. in Northwestern basketball history. You just you just know. You're the coach on the floor, and now you're the coach on the sideline. It just is what it is. That man is going to be by 35 or so, mark it down, head coach Brian McIntosh somewhere. Um, the last thing I have is that this is like, like the punishment that Memphis has gotten from for just outright going against – like. Like they knew they had an ineligible player and they played him anyways. And they were like, you know what? We don't care. And there's no suspension for Penny Hardaway. There's no postseason ban. We're talking like they have to vacate three. They have to vacate three wins, Josh. Oh, the horror of having to vacate three wins against, you know, Eastern Carolina State and in Samford, right? I mean, I. This is why, right, and for the guy who led the committee and then led the investigation to say things like this was not a, you know, not a commentary on Penny Hardaway's leadership as the leader of the men's basketball program, but the leadership of the University of Memphis and to suggest that coaches don't really get caught up in eligibility. Like, like this is why the NCAA is a complete joke, and this is why the NCAA like this is why NIL will always be an absolute train wreck because it, it's depending on the NCAA to like figure out how to be a a <laughs> to be competent and and I just like it's super frustrating to see a a sport that that I love being run by an organization that just has no idea how to have any rhyme or reason to anything that they do. Yep. And, and, and right. And I, I'm not a huge, you know, I'm from Memphis. I'm not a huge Memphis fan. My, I, my, my feelings about Memphis are, have been documented pretty well. I'm not typically a, a guy that gives Memphis the benefit of the doubt because I think it's a lot of show and it's a lot of not putting results on the floor and, then you know now we're all big for our britches because Memphis cheated and completely get one against the rules and is getting away with it and and I, I I don't really care that it's Memphis I I'm just super because it makes absolutely no sense but yeah Oklahoma State and Mike Boynton but Mike Boynton can get a tournament ban for something that he wasn't even responsible for and Penny Hardaway is still the coach of Memphis Anyways, there's my rant. I'm I just I, the NCA drives me completely crazy. It is such a useless organization. It is it, there's there's not a more well-funded useless organization on the entire planet. There really isn't. It is genuinely impressive how bad they are at not making themselves look stupid every time they open their mouths. Anyways. Maybe maybe some politicians would have an argument that they would like to present to you, but I've got nothing off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I also don't have too much to add to this. I exerted a lot of my energies defending Mike Boynton. I, I just don't have a lot left. That's and I'm, and I'm trying to save the rest for 
how the rest of these FBI investigations eventually kind of play out, specifically Kansas. Yeah, that you said what I was going to say. There's no rhyme or reason to any of this, which is the most frustrating part for me. Just like to understand the why behind this, because when it's illogical, this the conclusion I come to is you don't have a good why. Mm-hmm. And that is a major problem when you are the National Collegiate Athletic Association. Anyways, that's all I've got. Shall we get out of here? Let's do it. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. We'll be back at the end of the week. Um, Brendan Marks from The Athletic. Um, I don't know about you, Josh, but quickly becoming one of oh, yeah. the, my favorite people that we have on the podcast. Um, we had him last year for the ACC preview. He's back this year. Um, he's just a, he's a joy to talk to and a guy who knows the ACC at a level that at least anybody I've talked to uh, does not know the ACC. So a guy, he covers both UNC and Duke for the athletics. So he's the perfect guy to have most years, but this year in particular, um, and he knows his stuff when it comes to the rest of the conference. It is, we've already, we've already chatted with him. Um, it, it, it's going to be awesome. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, and that'll come out at the end of this week. Um, I believe that's all I've got. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast. And I just did that part. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later. <laughs>